0: Follow me, Jesus says. There's a lot of food in this story, isn't there? This gospel story of Jesus with these tax collectors and sinners. He eats with them, has dinner with them. He says to Levi bar Alpheus, bar Alpheus meaning son of Alpheus in Hebrew. He says to Levi, follow me. But what happens is that Jesus then follows Levi to his house for dinner with Jesus' disciples and many tax collectors and other sinners around them. One month out from tax day on April 15th, it can be easy to understand why tax collectors would be bound up in this category of sinners. None of us really want to affiliate with the IRS this time of year. But, of course, there is a little bit of a difference between the tax collectors of our day and the tax collectors of Jesus' day. Tax collectors of Jesus' day were seen as co-conspirators with the oppressive Roman Empire. They were often Jewish men picked from crowds or otherwise conscripted into serving the oppressive empire of Rome forced to collect its taxes to build its great roads and aqueducts, but to take from the people where the people did not feel that they wanted to give, nor that they benefited from. Not only did that tax money go for roads and water, but also to feed and continue to grow the great Roman army that kept the people of the conquered lands in line. And so the tax collectors were seen as these conspirators, these imposters among people who had decided to go along with the cruel regime of Rome. And so they were rejected by their people and not always particularly liked by Rome. Some tax collectors would take more than they needed to collect in order to line their own pockets, looking out for themselves because their communities had rejected them or because they bought into the message that wealth and power is the way to get ahead. And so these tax collectors and sinners are eating with Jesus, or Jesus is eating with them. They're all gathered in this motley crew at Levi's house. And the religious scholars question, and John the Baptist's disciples question, why Does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is it that John's disciples and the religious scholars fast? They abstain from certain foods during certain times, as some people may do during Lent, but the followers of Jesus do not. These might sound like questions of interest or perhaps meek curiosity, but they are pointed questions. Why aren't you doing it the way we do it? Why aren't you doing the way we've always done it? And to these pointed questions, Jesus tells all sorts of parables, teachings, stories, using metaphors, using comparisons to try to explain what it is that he has come here to do. To live out and embody that long invitation from God, from back in the prophet Hosea, to make humanity the beloved, to make us know what it means to be loved by God. In so many ways, God had been speaking our belovedness from the beginning, and now here in flesh, God says, I will eat with you. I will follow you to your home. I will invite you to follow me. I will declare that my whole mission has been to find you. I invite you now to close your eyes just for a minute. I promise nothing interesting will be happening on your screen. Close your eyes. Imagine a kitchen. It might be the kitchen where you're sitting right now if you are watching or listening while sitting at a kitchen table. It might be a kitchen you can see from your couch or that you can imagine from a sunlit porch where you are watching or listening. It might be a kitchen in a previous home, in your childhood home, at your family's summer cabin, but imagine a kitchen. Sit down in it, on one of your favorite chairs. Imagine what it feels like to be comfortable in that space, to know a kitchen so well that you know which chair is yours, that you know which drawer has the silverware, that you know where to find what you need. Sit down. What's on the table? You can put anything on there. Even if you've already had your allotted amount of coffee for the day, you can have another cup on this table. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, the makings for a delicious green leafy salad, a well-cooked steak, a baked potato piled high with toppings, what's in front of you there? Who's with you at this table? Family, friends, people who've gone before us beyond the veil to eat with God in the kingdom of heaven? Who's around this table today? In this kitchen. It doesn't have to be someone who's ever been in it. You can put whoever you want at the table. It's been a long time since we've been able to have people around our kitchen tables, but let's stay here for now at this kitchen table that you're imagining with whoever you want around it and whatever food and drink you want spread on it. Good food. Right? You've got something down that you want to eat, something that nourishes your body and your soul. That when you look at it, when you think about it, when you eat it, something is unlocked in you. Something feels joyous and fulfilled by this food. And now, look around the kitchen. Is there anything out of place? I mean, maybe not, it's your imagined kitchen, but in a real life kitchen. There's going to be that coffee cup that still hasn't been washed, or the dishes that didn't get put away, the bag of sugar that's still on the counter, the cupboard door that is still open, even though your wife always asks you so kindly to remember to close the cabinet doors. What's out of place? What's in need of patchwork? Maybe there's a bill stuck to the fridge that you don't want to have to think about. Maybe the plaster up near the crown molding is cracking. It's not a perfect kitchen. Even, yes, in our imagination it can be perfect, but in real life, most of the time there's something in our kitchens that isn't perfect. Because there's something in us that isn't. There's something that we forgot about, something that we neglected to see through to the end, something that makes us worry, something that keeps us up at night, something that fills us with guilt or regret or frustration. There's always something that's imperfect. And now into your full or gently full, however many people you want there, kitchen. Now to that table, that you know so well and you know which leg is wobbly, now into that space that is beautiful and yet imperfect, now into that space walks Jesus. He said, follow me and he has followed you. How do you feel? Excited? Joyful? Grateful? Terrified? Worried, ashamed, confused, perhaps. A little worried about your own sanity. But everyone else sees him and greets him too. Jesus can see the food that you've laid out. Jesus can see the beautiful things in your kitchen, the photos of your family, the dishes that you've treasured, but he can see the stuff that's been, well, That one dish you got a chip in, and so you pushed it to the back, and you meant to go look on eBay for another one in that brand, but you just haven't gotten to it. He can see it all. And he is there. With a great, grand smile. Because Jesus, God in skin the maker of the universe, the liberator of the Hebrew children, the giver of the law by which the children might be free, the prophet crying out over and over again in the wilderness to call us back to ourselves. The source of all goodness and love is here in your imaginary kitchen, ready to sit down with you and eat with you. Because Jesus has not come wondering if you've put out the good china. Jesus has not come to check and make sure that the dishwasher got every knife clean. Jesus has not come to make sure that everything is right and ready. Jesus has just come for you. To sit down with you and be present to everything that is true and real about you. Perfect, imperfect, and everywhere in between. Jesus has come so that you might know what it is to be the beloved of the source of love. To be loved by the love that made the world. To be honored and known and called worthy exactly as you are. To be encouraged, yes, to change the things that you regret or that you long to change. But to know that in the midst of all that, in the midst of all the work laid ahead of us, God is sitting right beside us at our kitchen tables, wanting to be with us. (sighs) You can open your eyes again. There is a Jewish saying, a teaching, of a teacher who comes into a room with some rowdy students and begins to teach about the image of God, who God is, what God looks like. And the students being students are a little less than focused. And finally, the teacher, the rabbi says to them, what would you do if you had a little box with a little bit of God inside it? Well, at first, of course, the students are goofy and make up all sorts of fantastical stories and things about what they might do, but eventually they begin to discuss the question in faithfulness and truthfulness and honesty. And they decide if they had a little box with a little bit of God in it, they would treat that box with the utmost of care. They would put it in a special place. They would decorate it well. They would make sure that nobody else heard it. They would make sure to take care of it themselves. They would always know where that box was because that box would be so very important, that little box with a little bit of God in it. And so the teacher said to the students, that little box is you. You are made in the image of God. May you treat yourself like it. Amen.